everybody. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, Episode 6. Unfortunately, coming to you after a another tough Razorback defeat at the hands of the LSU Tigers in Death Valley on Saturday night, 34-31. to The Hogs fall to 0-1 in conference play and 2-2 and overall in the season. In a game that there was a lot of highs from the BYU game, but the same lows in terms of the penalties, in terms of the not being able to survive our own success, the ways of just making things harder on us, way more harder on ourselves than it needed to be. I mean, it's our first road game in Death Valley at night, which is statistically hard to win, and the Razorbacks had every opportunity to win the game. We had every opportunity to hang 40-plus on LSU, the 12th-ranked team in the country. But the same miscues in the red zone, the same miscues of you know, the holding penalties, the false starts, the you know, the breakdowns defensively. It just seems like when one side of the football plays well for an offensive or for an Arkansas Razorback football team, the other one doesn't. Like, you know, first three games of the year, the most consistent part of our football team was defense. Then we go to LSU in a game that the Ar- that Arkansas was 17.5-point dogs in, and our offense plays the best it did all year, which – I can't believe I'm saying I'm encouraged after a loss, but I am. And I really think a lot of people view the coaching staff, view this team, view the season differently if we don't lose to BYU. Because even I had this game chalked up as a loss. I had us at 3-1 at at this point. Most people did. But Jimbo Fisher said it best today. We could be 4-0 as quickly as we are 2-2. I think it's 10 points. That keeps us from being 4-0 right now. And we'll get to get to that in a second in the rest of the game on Saturday in a second. But we all know what week it is. It's week. It's the A&M game week. A school that I cannot stand. I cannot stand Texas A&M. I can't stand the cult-like atmosphere they got over there. I can't stand the fake-ass military they got. You know, oh, respect the cadets. We're military. Yeah, my ass. Whatever. Can't stand that school. You know, there's a there's a graphic I love to use whenever AM fans try to come at me sideways that shows that they haven't finished top four in sport. Them and Northwestern, they haven't finished top four in one of the main four sports since before like war since before one of the world wars. It's been that long. So yeah, you know what? We are 1-9 and nine against them in the last 10 years. Whoop-de-doo. This year's a new year, and we still got the head-to-head on them. You know, they want to bring up 1-9 and nine over the last 10 years? I'll bring up the head-to-head record. It's the same thing because we're talking historical here. But the A&M game last year, a lot of people believed that to be kind of the tipping point of the season. You know, we're 3-0 going to that game. We're at 14 to nothing. We're knocking on the door about to be 21 nothing. And then KJ tried to go Superman from the five-yard line. Ball gets stripped. They take it back to the house. We lose that game. We get blown out by Bama, blown out by Mississippi State. Win two in a row, lose to Liberty. Win one, lose one. Then go to the Liberty Bowl and have to fight it out against the Kansas Jayhawks. But a lot of people viewed that game as, as the game that determined our season because that was really where you saw things not go our way, like the KJ fumble at the goal line. like. Cam Little 
kicking a 40-something yard field goal that he's made time and time and time again, and it hits off the tip top of the upright, and it doesn't bounce left, it doesn't bounce right. That thing bounced straight up in the air and fell to the turf in what seemed like forever, or it took forever to get to the turf. And in a way, I can agree with that. But I think this year's going to be a little different. I kind of had the vibes this year of how I did going to the 2021 Texas A&M game. And yeah, in that game, we were 3-0 and going into the Texas A&M game. Actually, the past two years, shoot, the past two years we played Texas A&M, we've been undefeated going into it. And we're 1-1 one one in those games. This year we're 2-2, two and two, and I believe we're more talented this year than the past two years. I think this year's different. I think it's going to be... I think this changes our season in a positive manner. And I know I drink the Kool-Aid probably more than anybody else, but this that's what I actually believe. And going back to last year's game, I was a little skeptical on it. And while A&M had a bad loss to, to App State, we had to come back on a Bobby Petrino coached Missouri State team at home who hung 30 on us. That's why I knew this team really wasn't that good last year. But, yeah, it's A&M game week. It's A&M hate week. I mean, Southwest Classic game in Dallas. This will be the first year I have not been to the game counting out COVID since we played it, since we started playing it back in, like, the 2009, 2010. Seen a lot of L's. Seen a couple W's, but a lot of L's in that building. But it's 11 a.m. Saturday. According to Sam Pittman, allegedly we practice better in the morning. I'll believe it when I see it. But there's a stat that came out this week that shows that the Hogs are 5-11 and in close games under Sam Pittman. And I know there's numerous things you could point out to blame on why that record is the way it is. But the fact of the matter is losing 11 of 16 games that are decided, you know, from seven points to three points – that falls on coaching for the most part because if we knew how to close out close games this season or last season or the year before, hell, we'd be 4-0 and right now, without a doubt be ranked in the top 25. If we could finish a close game in the 2021 season, we would have played in Atlanta for the SEC West Championship. We lost to Ole Miss by one point, and we lost to Bama by seven. And then last year, I mean, hell, four games decided by nine points or less. It's the same shit year after year. And at some point, the ball has to fall our way. It has to fall in our court. It just hasn't time and time again. And I know we can help that. But we got to start helping ourselves. We really do. Because it doesn't seem like the football gods are on our side. It really doesn't. Yeah, it just kind of seems like it's been a historical thing for Arkansas. But... Yeah, I mean, the season's not over with at all. And I know some people are saying the BYU, you know, the season, people are acting like the season's over. It's not. And people are overreacting a lot, which, you know, the BYU game, everyone had the green light to be as frustrated as they did. Everyone did because it's a game you should not lose at home if you want to have a good record. And we talked about that last week. But the next two games for the Arkansas Razorbacks are extremely winnable. I think if you beat A&M, you have a night game in Oxford, which it's always a shootout between us and Ole Miss, and then at Bama, if you can go 2-2 two and two in this stretch, it's a miracle. Hell, we had the opportunity to go 3-1 and one if we pulled it out the other night. Maybe 4-0, oh, who knows? 
I know I'm being optimistic, optimistic, and I'm sorry if I'm being too optimistic for people out there. I really don't care. But losing the BYU game uh, definitely put a wrench in things because now we're going to have to beat teams that we didn't think we'd have to beat. You go undefeated in non-con, that's 4-0. And then, you know, you can win conference games against, you know, shoot. I'm, I mean, I know it's at the beginning of the season when I made the prediction. I'm not even going to go back to it. But regardless of how Saturday night went, Arkansas showed improvement. We really did. I know I touched on it a little bit earlier, but it was our first road game, first road game period, first conference game on the road. You look at – the 2021 season, our first road game at Georgia for game day, we got blown out 37 to nothing. I mean, just absolutely drugged through the mud by Georgia, who went on to win the national championship, but that game wasn't pretty for anybody to watch. Then you go to our first road game last year at Mississippi State, and we get blown out. KJ didn't play. I don't know if it's going to change anything. We played like dog crap that game. So going into Baton Rouge, you know, there's 102,000 people there. Like we talked about earlier, statistically, the odds are against you in terms of winning. And just talking offensively, 1,000% we approved or improved outside of the penalties. We moved the ball extremely effectively. I mean, hell, we punted one time. Max Fletcher had to punt one time. Arguably our kryptonite, Max Johnson only had to punt one time. And it was a pretty decent punt. I can't remember the last time we did that, and especially it being on the road. I feel like this team still has a lot of fight in them. I really do. And there's no letting go of the rope or anything like that. We're only 2-2, two and two and conference just started. You know, if we lost to – if we were on a bad skid of games and we lost to BYU at home later on the season, yeah, I could see some guys letting go of the rope, but I don't think they're going to. I still th- think this team can achieve great things this season. Yeah, you know, we're staring adversity in the face once again, as all Arkansas teams love to. But we just got to take it one week at a time. And we can't make it harder on ourselves than it already is. The game of football already is. But there was another theme. You know, we talked about the repeated miscues earlier. But once again, Arkansas was outcoached on Saturday. Outcoached. I know it wasn't said in the presser, but it was pretty queer and easy to identify that we were outcoached because the adjustments Brian Kelly made at halftime, we didn't make defensively because that offense went from stalling out against us in the first half to from, I think, the last 31 minutes of the football game from when they scored the final touchdown of the first half to the end of the game. We didn't stop them once. Hell, I don't even think we got them to the third down more than two times. But like I said, seems like losing close games comes to a pattern at this point, and I'm freaking tired of it. This week's episode, we're going to talk about the college football matchups in week five, recap more of Saturday, you know, talk about the positives and negatives of offense and defense, then talk about what the Hogs have to do Saturday and my score prediction. All right, so week four of college football had some great games. You had Bama beating Ole Miss late. You had Oregon dog-walking Colorado. That was beautiful to see. I don't wish anything bad upon Prime. I really don't. I think we just got going at Colorado was good. But they needed a slice of humble pie, and they got it. And I don't know if anyone saw the picture of the stream, 
But I think it's a pretty bad look when Travis Hunter streaming 2K24 at halftime while his team's losing 35 to nothing. Thought that was kind of funny. Just kind of shows where his mind's at, but who knows. Whatever. Dude's getting paid millions of dollars to play college football. I guess he can do what he wants. Uh, what else happened? The NC State-Virginia game on Friday night. I know no one probably watched that. That game was wild. Then the Clemson-Florida State game. Clemson-Florida State is an example, or Florida State's an example of a team that, you know, they didn't look that good against Boston College, still pulled it out one by two, go on the road to Clemson, and they were on the road against Boston College. But go on the road to Clemson, down late in the game, found a way to win. Ohio State against Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame only ran at 10 guys out there on the field for the final play of the game, which, you know what, that's on Marcus Freeman. But regardless, teams find ways to win close games. It doesn't matter how it happens. It doesn't matter how ugly it is, how pretty it is. The top teams in the country find a way to win the game no matter what. If something's not working, they find a way to win. I There's just no other way to explain it. There's really not. I mean, Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't play well the other night, got hurt, still still came in the game, you know, and they, they found success through the running game. It's just, I don't know. Arkansas's not there yet in terms of closing out close games. Will we get there? I don't know. And I know there were some other good games in week four of – College football, OU beat Cincy. Rutgers kind of kept it close in Michigan for a little bit. Those are just games I can remember off the top of my head. I'm sure there are other ones. But as for the matchups in week five, Utah at – or the two games we have on Friday night – or there's four games on Friday night. Two of them are pretty good. One of them is a ranked matchup. Utah at Oregon State, DJ Ukulele versus Cameron Rising. If he still is even going to play, I think he's banged up. Cincy at BYU. BYU got destroyed by Kansas and they only scored 14 offensive points. That's kind of frustrating. I'm not going to talk about BYU anymore. USC at Colorado, I think USC boat races them because their defense is better than Oregon's, and they have a better quarterback and a better offense than Oregon. So, yeah, I know it's at Boulder, but I think USC is going to run them. And with Arkansas, we already, we already know. Georgia at Auburn, that could get ugly. Auburn didn't look very good on Saturday against A&M. KU at Texas, that's a sneaky top 25 matchup. Last time KU walked into Texas, KU had won like one game the whole season, hung 50-something on Texas, beat them in overtime. Mizzou at Vandy, I hate that Mizzou's good. I can't stand it, but it's frustrating as hell. LSU at Ole Miss, that'll be, that'll be a good game. Give us a little preview of what we'll see. Against uh, the Rebels, the Black Bear Rebel Land Sharks next week. But they get two night games in a row. Pretty awesome. Uh, Notre Dame at Duke. That's game day. Notre Dame is a part of game day once again. I don't know how many times a school gets repeat game day. doesn't matter if they're the home team for for one game day and they're away team for another. I don't remember that happening very much where school is game day back-to-back weeks. I bet Alabama has gotten that before. But I can't remember the last time it happened. South Carolina at Tennessee. Tennessee's looking for revenge after South Carolina hung 60 on them last week. That kind of derailed that season for Tennessee. Bama at Mississippi State. I think Bama's going to blow them out. Bama seems to be a team of the past 
you know, Bama the past few years when they've had Mac Jones, Tua Tagovailoa, Bryce Young, a team that went from a run-first football team, which is what Alabama was, you know, early in the Saban years to the middle of the Saban era, to basically a pass-heavy team when they had the quarterbacks and receivers that they had. Well, they don't have the receivers that they used to have, and they don't have the quarterback talent. So they're back to running the football, just smash-mouth running the football. Milrow's got a good arm, but other than that, he's not a very accurate thrower. But he's a great athlete, can run the football, and they found a way to win Saturday. As for the recap of Saturday, I know we touched on it a little bit already, but <clears throat> offensively, I, I mean, there's – obviously it's easy to point out the glaring issues for why we lost the football game. Poor timeout usage and penalties. In the first half, we pay, we basically played error-free football. We had two penalties as a team in the first half and only one offensively. And then a BS horse collar tackle on the defense, but that doesn't matter. The second half, I think we had 10, and I believe all of them were on the offense, and majority of them were false starts. Hell, at one point, we had two in a row. Two in a row on Nathan Backs. Luke Haas had one. I think damn near everyone on the offensive line but had one. But, I mean, thank the Lord the offense was clicking because more times than not throughout the game, it seemed like we had to start first and 20 or second and 15 or we had second longs we had to work through, but we did it. And as for the timeouts, I know that people are blaming Pittman and they can blame him all they want. And yeah, you know, some blame is to go on Pittman, but two of them are definitely on KJ because you got to be more aware of the game clock and getting guys lined up because, like we talked about earlier, using your final timeout 10 seconds into the fourth quarter is not it. And it came back to bite us in the ass because LSU at the end of the game, you know, when the game was tied 31 31, our defense couldn't stop. My, the fifth-grade flag football team I help coach right now. And we had no timeouts to stop the clock. And while I think we should have let them score, we didn't. And we had no timeouts. So they were able to run down the clock from the five-minute mark to about two seconds and just kick a chip shot field goal for the win. The coaching error in that is that you let them score because you have no timeouts. The best opportunity for us to win the ball game is not stripping them. It is letting them score, getting the ball back in the hands of K.J. Jefferson and our offense, who had not been stopped but one time that whole night, and they hadn't been stopped in the second half. They had gone 75 they – they had churned out 75-yard drives every possession in the second half. You leave it up to them to drive down the field, score, and go for two and win the game. That's what should have happened, and I think everyone is in agreement at that or with that but the coaches. As for the positives – that was the best offensive look all year without a doubt. I mean, we scored more points on LSU at LSU than we did on, than we did on Kent State at home. I mean, kind of speaks volumes to where the offense has improved in two weeks. And honestly, for the most part, outside of the penalties and everything, the offensive line looked pretty good. They protected pretty well. And I don't know why there's even a position battle anymore at left tackle because you saw why all the hype was there with Devon Manuel or Devin Manuel, or however you say his name, because that dude was a difference maker. When Manuel was in the game, there was no pressure off that left side. We were able to run through the left side with ease. It was very easy to do so. I know that LSU kind of has a weird usage for Harold Perkins, but he was a non-factor the other night. The times that he did blitz off the left edge at Devin Manuel, he didn't do anything. Couldn't swim him, couldn't rip him, couldn't spin off him, couldn't do anything. 
Quinn Wells legit. I mean, bar none, the dude's legit. We just need him out there. We need him healthy. And in terms of the running game, I mean, that's the best push we've gotten in the ground game all year. I mean, we were finishing blocks, pushing the pile, getting the second level. We hadn't seen that up until this point throughout the year. And in terms of Danny Enos, yeah, you know, there's some questionable play calls, but he easily called his best game the other day. And I still hope that this offense will continue to develop because the play calling seemed more simplistic, which is good because it made things easier on KJ. Just make one or two reads, then take off. And we saw that numerous times where KJ was able to break down pressure. You know, the pocket broke down. Guys running after him was able to break down the play, break down the defense, make something happen with his feet or, you know, scramble out of the pocket, throw a big touchdown. I mean, we're a completely different football team when KJ Jefferson is able to use his feet. We are. He's not a pocket passer. We all know it. I mean, he did have some nice plays in the pocket, stepping up, making throws the other night, but he is at his best when he's using his feet. And the one thing I'm still frustrated with with Dan Enos is that, you know, it's our lack of under center plays, especially in the goal line and just our red zone offense in general. Because when we had it third and one or third and goal at the one, I believe, and we lined up, we finally lined up under center with the three running backs. I think it was Dominic Johnson, Rashad DeBinion, and A.J. Green all right behind K.J. We still didn't sneak it. I know it was a delay game, but we still didn't even sneak it. We turned around and hand off to DeBinion, who's the arguably the smallest running back of the three. I think it might be A.J. Green, but still, sneak the damn ball. In terms of K.J., I mean, yeah, he had one bad throw where, honestly, I'd kind of put it more on Tyrone Broden for not breaking off his route better. Regardless, it was a bad throw, bad decision, but he balled out. I mean, touchdown he had to Luke Haas when we were down eight points in the fourth quarter was a spitting image of the touchdown he had back in 2021 in Death Valley to Dominique Johnson. But this time I went for about 65 yards instead of 40. But speaking of tight end, I mean, it's it's amazing what happens when we have a legitimate tight end. We haven't had a legitimate tight end in the Pittman era because our first year, first two years, we had Hudson Henry and Blake Kern. In my word, yeah, Hudson Henry and Blake Kern. Then you have Trey Knox. And now finally you got Luke Haas. And, I mean, this could be a hot take, but I think when it's all said and done, and Luke Haas hopefully has played three to four years at Arkansas, I think he's going to be the best tight end to ever put on a Razorback uniform. And what scares me about him is that, you know, he was an OU commit at one point. He committed to Arkansas, decommitted. And then Bama was after him hard. I thought we were going to lose him to Bama, and he came back to Arkansas, thankfully. But you got to pay that man whatever he wants to keep him at the end of the season. I'm not saying he's Brock Bowers at all, because he's not. But he's Luke MF and Haas, and Duke can play. Four touchdowns in the last two games, well over 100 yards receiving last game. Guy's an animal. Just another weapon we can use in the passing game. I know I kind of dogged on Rashad DeBinion last week, but dude ran the ball well, and you can now see why the staff wants him as RB2 over A.J. Green because, yeah, A.J. Green might be a little banged up, but that dude cannot see a hole to save his life, and Dominique Johnson is slow as molasses. We need Rocket Bat badly. We do. 
because five and seven complement each other pretty daggum well. A guy who we saw step up on Saturday was Tyrone Broden, 6'7", wide receiver transfer from Bowling Green. I know we didn't see Satania at all, but Broden, Tesla, and Armstrong are playing well. Thank God for the transfer portal. Andrew Armstrong is clearly our wide receiver one. Tesla had some nice catches as well. Andrew Armstrong got robbed of like a 50-yard touchdown. KJ stepped up beautifully in the pocket, delivered probably his best throw of the night. For a touchdown to Armstrong, but got called back for holding. But I mean, offensively speaking, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of positives to take away from the other night, and I really think if we continue the, our ways or how we play offensively, continue that momentum into Saturday, and cut down the penalties, I think we're going to put up plenty of points on the AM defense. We'll get to that in a second. As for the defense, there was damn near zero positives about the defense. I mean. We played flawless for the first 28 minutes of the ballgame. Picked off a pass. Dwight McLaughlin had a great pick. You know, Jalen Braxton had a nice pass breakup. Hudson Clark was making great open field tackles. We had a sack. We were in the backfield. And then once that, once we gave up that bad touchdown at the end of the first half, LSU got momentum and they never looked back. I mean, the place was silent up until that point. When it was 13-3 Hogs, we had all the momentum, all the momentum in the world. And watching Jaheim Singletary get picked on, they didn't throw the ball at Nudy. They threw the ball at Jaheim Singletary and Walcott, mainly Jaheim Singletary, and it gave it gave me flashbacks. I don't know about y'all, but the last number fifteen we had, you know, about a year ago, that guy did a lot of chasing, chased a lot of receivers, and that looked like Jaheim the other night. I don't even want to say his name. Everyone knows who I'm talking about. We all know Jaheim's better than that, though. I mean, the dude was a five-star corner, was at Georgia, and he's played well this season. That was, you know, he had some tough matchups the other night. But what I don't understand is he was we were guarding him, or he was guarding Malik Neighbors or that Thomas kid in the slot. But what I don't understand is you sitting there about five yards off the ball, guarding a receiver flat-footed, waiting for him to run up to you full speed, make a move, and then you try to run with him. That's never going to work. And especially with someone as talented as Malik Neighbors. God, if we had Quincy McAdoo, Quincy McAdoo put these straps on Malik Neighbors last year. I think he had one catch against Arkansas. If the dude knew how to drive, we'd be okay. I know it's probably pretty low, but I just hope he's able to play football again. I really do. And, yeah, in terms of second-half defense, I think we forced him into a third down twice, and one of them – was at the end of the game when they were basically just running out the clock to set up a field goal. And I still don't think Jaden Daniels is the greatest thrower of the football ever, but I'll tip my hat to him. He made some great throws the other night, but we really didn't make it tough on him. There was zero pressure in the second half, zero push. Their offensive line whipped us. Yeah, our defensive line is deep. Yeah, they're talented, but we need – we need disruption in the middle. They ran it in between the tackles with ease on us. And Jaden Daniels had all day to throw back there. And, you know, more credit to him. The guy got the ball out quick. But still, he carved us. Absolutely carved us. And I don't think he's that good of a thrower of the football. I think, honestly, him and Max Johnson are pretty comparable in terms of how they throw the football. I really do. But in terms of... You know, who this game falls on defensively, you can point to coaching, you point to, you know, whatever. I think the defensive line is the reason we lost that game. 
because, like like we said, they got whipped in the run game, zero push in the pass game or in the in pass rush, and that was just that was as comfortable as I've ever seen Jaden Daniels in the pocket. That guy loves to use his legs and run, and he hardly ran on us the other night. That was the most comfortable he's ever looked back there. And this D line group, this front seven, they got to bring it Saturday, especially the defensive line because A and M's offensive line may be worse than ours pass protection and Max Johnson god this is our fourth time to fourth time to play him and I think we're t- one and two against him last year that guy got extremely lucky you know we pressure him he'd just throw it up in the air throw up ducks just happen to land in Anim's hands but you pressure that guy he's gonna make bad throws he will all right lastly we don't have a mail bed this week because I got it out kind of late but for what the Hogs have to do on Saturday to get the W. Offensively, I think it's simple. The same offense that played in Baton Rouge on Saturday, play like that again this Saturday with less penalties, we're going to win. We will score a shit ton of points. Get Rocket and Dominion going. Hopefully Rocket plays. If he does play, I bet he's on a snap count. I thought he was going to be ready for LSU. Apparently this knee swelling thing is worse than we all expected. Kind of reminds me of the next junior thing. Not really, but, you know, that shit will haunt us for life. Another thing we have to capitalize on on Saturday is turn red zone possessions into seven points instead of three. Our red zone offense has got to be one of the worst in the SEC, if not the country, in terms of converting. And that's got to change. They have a great D-line, and it's going to be tough to establish the run. we really got to protect KJ, but if we can contain Harold Perkins, I think we're going to have a good chance against these guys. But can't get in our own way. You can't have a ton of penalties, can't have a ton of boneheaded mistakes, cannot turn the ball over. But passing-wise, I really do believe we had speed advantage against them, especially their secondary. They have some taller DBs. they got long guys. Basically, it looks like you got a bunch of free safeties out there. Uh, their corners are pretty big, but the thing about the secondary is that they don't have a ton of game-breaking speed. I really think we can air it out this weekend, maybe hit them over the top for some big pass plays, kind of like how we did in 21 with Traylon on that 85-yard bomb KJ threw to him. But with that being said, A&M's know, or A&M knows that the secondary – their secondary is their weakness, and they're going to twist. They're going to stunt. They're going to blitz a ton. I mean, knowing the offensive line issues we've had, that's exactly what they're going to do. They were all over Auburn on Saturday. I think they had eight sacks, and that's all they did. Sometimes they only brought four, and they still got there. I mean, they have a great D-line. But I think as long as we can give KJ some time to throw the football, he's going to dice up the secondary. And the more the pass is opened up, like we saw on Saturday, it'll open up the run even more. But – this game's going to be one of the trenches. Obviously, we can't commit penalties like we have. I've said that one million times, but it's so true. I think we've had, shoot, I think we've had 26 penalties in two games. Got to cut that in half at least this week. I'm not saying you can play a penalty-free game, but those have got to be under under six, under five. But if we protect KJ and we can get pressure on them, Protect our quarterback and get to theirs, and I think we're going to be okay. Defensively, let's see. Let's look at AM's stats here. 
So, as most probably know already, we're not playing against Connor Wigman Saturday. He has an ankle injury. We'll, play, we'll be playing against Matt, Max Johnson again. And rushing-wise, I got three guys over 100 yards, but their main ball carrier is Amari Daniels. I think he's a freshman. He has 39 carries, 234 yards, and two rushing touchdowns on the season. Receiving-wise, I got Evan Stewart, who's a sophomore, pretty solid player, 22 catches, 307 yards, and three touchdowns. Noah Thomas, 10 catches, 112 yards, four touchdowns. Anaya Smith, who we all know, who had a pretty gruesome injury against the Razorbacks last year, eight catches, 272 yards, and no touchdowns. And then you got Moose Muhammad, nine catches for 60 and one tutty. But all in all, I mean, we've seen this A&M team before. We saw them last year. A lot of the t- their talented guys, they were freshmen last year, they brought back, and they're only going to be better. The main emphasis on Saturday has to be not giving up a big play because we seem to do that against A&M all the time, give up big chunk plays or just big plays down the field, and we have to get pressure on the quarterback because Texas A&M's offensive line – which this might come as a surprise to most, their offensive line has allowed 46 quarterback pressures on the season, which means defenses have pressured their quarterback 46 times through four games. Do that math, that's about 12 times per game, a little bit under, about 11 on average, a little over 11. Arkansas is allowed 35. So, yeah, that's not good. 35 is not good at all, but 46 is a lot worse. And we played BYU and we played BYU and LSU in back-to-back games. I know they played Miami earlier, but then they got a cupcake game after that. And then they played Auburn. So they have the second-worst pass protection in the SEC. But something I want to do Saturday, which I think our defense has the capability of doing, is while sending pressure and trying to you know confuse Max Johnson – I think we can disguise these blitzes and do it as best as possible because another thing about Max Johnson is that he's not very good at getting rid of the ball quick. He's got a strong arm. He's pretty mobile, but he doesn't throw with a ton of velocity. So I do think our front seven is going to have a lot of opportunities to knock some passes down at the line of scrimmage, which is great. And some people might be like, oh, it's the same thing as incomplete pass. It hurts a quarterback's confidence. He's worried more about the big boys in front of him than he is about making a throw downfield. Gets happy feet back there, force it side of the pocket, is forced to make a bad throw. So I know we talked about not giving up the deep ball, but our secondary has just got to do a better job of turning their head of the football. Not getting beat deep, be good in our run fits, get off blocks, and make tackles in the open field. Because with the backup quarterback starting, Jimbo Fisher is initially going to commit to the run 100%. And if there's a guy that wants to beat Arkansas more than anyone, it's going to be Bobby Petrino. So don't be surprised if they got some trip plays dialed up or plays that, you know, they haven't really opened up the playbook for any other team until us. Just get ready for it. But I do think our team is more talented than Texas A&M. And they have the backup quarterback, and we got KJ, MF, and Jefferson playing. And I didn't think going into this game I would be as positive as I am because we were that close to beating LSU on Saturday night. And we're that close. We're eight, ten points away from being 4-0. And 
I don't think a lot of people know that, and I think we can put everyone on notice on Saturday. This game is considered by some to be the most important game of Sam Pittman's head coaching tenure, and I have to agree with them. Because when we dropped three in a row last year, really started to derail the season. I know we picked it back up, but that team was streaky. And outside of losing to A&M, we got blown up by Bama. We got blown up in Mississippi State. It was a close one to BYU, close one to LSU. This this pattern of losing close games has got to change and starts with us and a little bit of luck as well. But we just can't shoot ourselves in the foot, can't make this game of football harder on us than it already is because we seem to love to do that more often than not. But my score prediction for Saturday, I'm thinking 27, 24, Arkansas Razorbacks. That's what the score is going to be, and I'm sticking to it. Hopefully next time I see you guys, the Hogs are 2-9 and nine in our last 11 against Texas A&M, and we're 1-1 one one in conference play and 3-2 and two heading into Oxford to play the Ole Miss Black Bear Rebel Landsharks. I'll see you all next week.